Good morning, and welcome to the final part of our Respect Life series here at Impact Church. We had a lot to cover in our time together during this series in regard to respecting life and uh, that we've all been blessed with these lives and to respect the, the lives of those around us. But today, I want to make sure that we are continuing this conversation in a manner of both truth and grace. Uh, as Christ models for us in the Gospels. John chapter 1, uh, verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. So I want us all to have a spirit of both truth and grace. And I know that some of us are guilty of leaning one more towards the other. Uh, my children, for example, uh, lean more towards blunt truth. Uh, I don't know if it's a kid thing or if it's a my kid thing, uh, but definitely Joel especially is extremely blunt in his delivery of certain truths. Um, I'm at a very sensitive time in my life where I have been blessed with both wrinkles and acne. And so I had a pimple last week right in the middle of my head. And wouldn't you know, first thing in the morning, just runs right into the room and what happened there? <laughs> Lucy, so great. What you got on your head? <laughs> I love them so much. Children are a blessing. But in church world, we can be guilty of that too. We can lean more towards maybe just some blunt truth and totally miss the grace and forgiveness of Christ. And then sometimes we can lean more towards grace, and that doesn't seem so bad, but it can almost be a passive grace, a grace that never faces the truth. And churches can fall into this kind of pulpit politeness that from the pulpit, we just won't handle certain truths in Scripture, which pastors should realize that's a scary path to choose because the inability to confront certain topics or issues, that leads us to compromise our faith. When we start glossing over scripture that might make us feel bad or would be difficult to talk about, it's not only a detriment to our own personal faith, but as church leaders, if you consider yourself a leader in the church, we are actually being barriers between others and God's truth. We are keeping people from not only truth, but perhaps forgiveness and healing. As a pastor here at Impact Church, I'm never going to do that. We are going to talk about difficult issues here. And I pray every week, especially this week, that God would have me do so gracefully. Now, not only is what I'm going to talk about today perhaps unpopular in some churches, I know that there are some people either here with us today or replaying the YouTube clips that might flat out disagree with me. And I just want you to know that I know. Now, you know that I know that you know, and we can all just know. Like, it's okay if we disagree here today, but I'm going to ask you to do two things for me. And the first thing is to keep an open mind. Not just keep an open mind for me. This is not the Michelle show. Keep an open mind for what God's word has for you today. Keep an open mind for what we discover in scripture together. And the second thing I want you to do is write it all down. You've got pens and paper, notebooks, hopefully. Write down all of your questions, your challenges, your, your yeah, but what about, or I bet you didn't think about this one. 
because I can't possibly cover everything today, and I do not want you to leave here frustrated or, or unheard. Please talk to me after the service at the family brunch, or send me an email or a message, or I, I got a lot of Starbucks gift cards for Christmas that I haven't even used yet. I will take, I will spend my Starbucks gift card on you. That is how important this is to me. I do not want you to leave here frustrated or unheard. So two things, keep an open mind and write it all down. I want to know all the things. Um, but most of you, you know me and you know my story. Uh, if you had asked me six years ago where I would be in life, uh, there are a few things I would not have guessed. Starting this church with all of you, couldn't see that coming. I would not have guessed that. But as far as I was concerned six years ago, I would be a teacher my whole life. I taught third grade, absolutely loved it. Such a great age. Kids actually still like school, like going to school, and they've got all their bodily fluids taken care of. It's the perfect age to teach. I loved third grade, loved what I did. But six years ago, something broke my heart. Six years ago, a friend of mine invited me to the Maryland March for Life in 2013. At the same time in 2013, the case of Kermit Gosnell was hitting the headlines as his trial progressed. For those of you who don't know, and many don't because it was suppressed in the news, uh, Kermit Gosnell was a late-term abortionist operating in Philadelphia. He was caught ending the lives of children who survived their abortions. He had botched the abortion process, the babies were born alive, and he would snip the backs of their necks. He performed very late-term abortions in a filthy, unregulated, unchecked facility in the heart of Philly in a low-income area where nobody was looking. Nobody cared to pay attention. Nobody cared to investigate because you didn't touch abortion. Finally, through an unrelated drug raid of his building, evidence of his practices were exposed and he was arrested. During his trial, there were things released photos and testimony released that just absolutely destroyed me. I remember I was staying late after teaching one night, just kind of researching the case on my phone, um, and a picture had just been released. Baby boy A. That's all it was, baby boy A. And um, there was a woman who worked in his facility that just got overwhelmed with what they were doing, so she took a picture of what was done, and then that picture was brought into evidence just to see his little hands and his little feet and his body. It just was unbelievable that that happened and that that's all he was known for. Baby boy A, that's all he got in his life. I'm not going to show you that picture, but I do want to let you know you can find it. And I encourage you to face the truth on this one. They just came out with a movie about Gosnell. There's a documentary about him as well. Um, Please take all the notes on that. 3801 Lancaster is the documentary. And then Gosnell, the movie, just came out. And you can go visit that movie's website. And you can find all of the evidence. And you can see this for yourself. But that, that completely broke me. I, I just started down a rabbit hole of research. I had to know everything. Well, if that's happening, well, then, then what is it like over here? And that, that just has to be an anomaly. That can't be what's actually going on. That was just one crazy guy. Well, we have our own Kermit Gosnell in Maryland. His name is Leroy Carhart, and he operates in Bethesda, Maryland. He'll do abortions all nine months of pregnancy up until birth. He is not only ending the lives of children, he has killed women in the process. He is operating unregulated, unchecked, as if no one's paying attention. 
And so that broke me. I couldn't believe that this was happening. God just weighed that on my heart. I remember the whole way home, I just cried and cried. It was like this release valve just kind of happened. I had just had Joel a year before, so I knew intimately what it meant to carry a child in the womb. And I just couldn't get out any words other than, okay, what am I supposed to do with this? You want to break my heart over this, God? Well, you better show me what I need to do. What am I supposed to do? And God's really funny like that. He'll give you a, a, a what and not a how, right? I didn't know what it, I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but I knew I had to do something. I started volunteering everywhere that I could. And in the end, the only time span I had left was that annoying nine to five part of my day, that job thing. Um, and so long story short, I ended up resigning from teaching and the Lord provided this amazing blessing that I get to work for a pro-life organization called Students for Life of America. And it's great because I still get to teach. I'm able to go to middle schools, high schools, colleges, even up until grad school and teach on this issue, go out and host displays on college campuses, just start to engage on the topic and actually create uh, small groups like clubs on campuses that talk about this issue and raise up student leaders. So that has been a blessing. And if you've known me at all, you know I can't go five minutes without talking about this. Get me in a room, I'll you know, quickly introduce myself, my family, and tell you what I do for a living and how much I love it. But I realized it's really difficult to talk about this in church. Start talking about it, opening up conversations, and it wasn't quite as well received, especially among church leaders and pastors of all denominations. Church leaders will say it's complicated, it's controversial, it's painful. The one place we should be able to lean on each other and look to each other for help and for healing, we sometimes just can't hear because they're right. It's complicated. It's controversial and it's painful. It's estimated that one in three women will have an abortion by age 45. One in three. Although reporting is actually quite limited, what we have says over 60% of women getting abortions report being religiously affiliated. That's over half. Another study showed up to 70% of women who had an abortion identify as Christian, and 43% attended a Christian church at least once per month or more at the time of her abortion. You see, it hurts so much because it's us. If it's not us, it's our friends and it's our families. I have talked with men who are distraught and hurting after an abortion decision that was made and they felt helpless. I have cried with women, complete strangers, after speaking at a church and I was the first person she told about her abortion in decades. She hadn't spoken of it in 20, 30 years. I've been on the sidewalks with moms outside of Planned Parenthood, moms who had other kids at home, desperately not wanting to go inside Planned Parenthood's doors, but they were fed the lie that there was no other way. I fought alongside Maddie Runkles, a teenager from Western Maryland who became pregnant at her Christian high school, and they wouldn't let her graduate. They wouldn't let her walk. In the words of her administration, imagine what that would look like. You see, when we push this down, when we won't talk about it, we push them down. When we push this down, we push her down. So if you're in here today, or you're replaying this on video, um, I just 
I want you to know some truth from the pulpit today, some grace from the pulpit today that maybe has never been shared with you. Maybe you've been affected by abortion. Maybe you're seeking healing after an abortion. Maybe you're considering abortion because you're in the church world. You're so embedded in it. You maybe attend a Christian school, and God forbid someone finds out you became pregnant outside of marriage, and sometimes it feels like it's easier to hide than it is to be truthful amongst people who should love us, who should love you. So I just want to speak truth to you right now. First thing I want to tell you is you are loved. There is forgiveness for you. There is healing for you, and there is a place in heaven for you. Jesus Christ made that possible. God sent his son to die on a cross and take our sins and our shame, and he can take even this. God is calling you back to him today, and it is never too late. God loves you. We love you, and we are so glad you're in our church, and we are so glad you're watching this at home, um, and we just want you to know that. Please talk to myself or Pastor Eric if you know someone or if this is something that you want to talk about because we want to see healing for you, healing for our friends and our family in this. So in this Respect Life series, we are covering a lot of ground in a short amount of time. Again, please know I can't possibly squash everything I want to in the next couple of minutes, but what I want to accomplish today is to learn more about what scripture has to say regarding this topic of respecting life and abortion specifically, but I also want us to walk away with knowing as Christians, what are we called to do about it? We're already overwhelmed by it. I can sense it. Okay, well, what are we supposed to do? What is God calling us to do? So we're going to actually go through several passages of scripture today. Uh, we will keep coming back to our bottom line, though, and it is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made. Beautiful statement. We should all write it down and post it around so we don't forget. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. So let's just start today, very basic, to make sure that we are all on the same page, okay? Um, we have to first establish what we're talking about. What are the preborn really? So that's going to be my first question to you. What are the preborn? What, what does it mean? What's going on, that mystery inside the womb when someone's pregnant? What is that? We have to establish that first. What are we talking about? Because if it's nothing more than part of someone's body, if it's nothing more than a tooth extraction when you get an abortion or an appendectomy, then, then why did Michelle quit her job and go nuts? Why is she keeping women from health care? What are we talking about? We have to establish that together first. So I want to do that both from a secular scientific perspective today and also from a biblical perspective today. So I want to be able to talk about both. Um, so we're going to, oh, I already said that. Great. Uh, the preborn are four things, and you should have this in your notes. Human living unique and whole. I'm going to unpack all four of those. All four are equally important, equally valuable. The first one, human. Biologically human. Two humans come together and make a cat, right? No, it's so cute. We need to do this with our cat. Can we do this with Noodle, please? Family portrait. Uh, two humans come together and make a human. It's a very basic, uh, fundamental, scientific principle called biogenesis. Like begets like. Two humans make a human. Cats make cats. Dog make, dogs make dogs. And so forth. 
right? There's never a question about whether or not we're talking about a human being, right? Uh, someone belonging to the species Homo sapiens. It's almost too easy. I think sometimes in our conversations we might mix the words up and sometimes uh, pro-life people can miss what a pro-choice person is saying and the word human sometimes from the pro-choice person might actually mean valuable human person and it's not that they don't understand biology but I have been on many a college campuses in the last five years and uh, the place I get the most uh, pushback on this one for uh, the biological level is at Johns Hopkins University where there are some pre-med students that I'm a little nervous about. And so we'll go on long talks about the biology of, of ourselves as human beings. So just know, scientifically, from your beginning, you belong to the human species. You are a human being. We find this in scripture, too. It's beautiful. Right there in Genesis, in our creation, we learn that we are made in God's image and that when we have children, they're made in our image and ultimately flowing back to his image. It's awesome. Let's look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then we'll skip up to Genesis chapter 5, verse 3. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. How awesome. Yes, our kids look like us. They're not identical to us, but they look like us. They're made in our image. And then flowing all the way back to when Adam and Eve were created in God's image. What a powerful and humbling truth in Scripture that we are human. We are not only like our parents before us, but we are made in the true image of God. The second thing that the preborn are, are living. They're alive. Another one I get on college campuses all the time. No one knows when life begins. This very philosophical, nobody knows when life begins. We can't be sure to tell when life begins. Well, I am happy to report to you that uh, some seventh grade scientific principles, again, uh, in this world, we can classify things in one of three categories, right? Living, non-living, or dead. That's it. You got to be one of those three things, right? Your chairs are... Non-living, oh, made me nervous. I am so glad your chairs will not poof to life and just grab us. Like that's not a thing that can happen. Non-living things don't come from non-living things, right? Living things make living things. Day one of your existence, you're this single cell little organism called a zygote. I love teaching my middle school and high schoolers that. I say, go home, tell your parents what you learned today, that on day one of your life, the stage that you were was a zygote. If we were to find that on Mars, everyone would be hooting and hollering, we got life. But we're scratching our heads here in 2019, what's going on. But you are alive, look at that little guy. Alive, growing, developing, taking on nutrients, producing energy, meeting all of the qualities of life. And we see that in scripture too. It's amazing how science is finally catching up with something that scripture has been telling us for centuries. So in scripture, we see this too. In Luke chapter one, verse 41, when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. How cool is that? You got John the Baptist in the womb and you got Jesus in the womb and they're hearing about each other you know, from the womb and you've got signs of life. Wow, John the Baptist is so excited to hear about Jesus Christ. And then we've got 
Genesis, we see life in the womb again. Genesis 25, uh, chapter, or verses 22 through 26. The children struggled together within her, and she said, If it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. One shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. We've got Jacob and Esau in the womb, sibling rivalry already, like already wrestling around in there. How cool is that? We see so many pictures into the womb like this in Scripture that just shows so obviously and so beautifully the life that's there, the vibrancy that's there even in our beginning when we were in the womb. The third thing you are as a preborn human being who's alive is unique. You are not a copy of mom. You are not a copy of dad. You are not a part of mom. You are your own unique human being. I love this one. That's my sonogram in 1985. I almost hate showing that because then people do a little math and I don't like that. Um, but then there's Lucy's sonogram, right? She wasn't part of me. She wasn't a copy of me. She is her own person. And she you know, might have some similarities to me, but she is unique. 23 chromosomes from mom and 23 chromosomes from dad came together to make uniquely you, never to be repeated again. It's amazing. And we see this in scripture too. We see that God has created us uniquely and that he calls us to a unique purpose. We see that in Jeremiah, I think is the perfect place to look for this one. Jeremiah chapter one, verses four through five. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. He speaks truth. God speaks truth into Jeremiah's life about how unique he is. And that's true for all of us that we were created uniquely with a purpose to live out for God. And the fourth one, one that a lot of people miss, is whole. In your pre-born stage, even as a zygote, you're whole. Doesn't that just give you the warm and fuzzies right there? Don't you just want to adopt him or her? Like, I, I understand. I always have to just be very honest. I understand that when you see our first couple days of development, nobody's like super excited or looking at the chubby cheeks of the baby and you're saying, yeah, all right, I get it, clump of cells. But I'll be, I'm just very straight with people when I talk to them. I see equal value in that living, whole, unique human being that God created at that stage when their body looked like that as I do all of you right now. Equally valuable. Just your body looked a little different. That was all of you. God's creation of us, our development, it's amazing a miracle, really, where we started from. And when I give this talk to, like, middle school and high schoolers, I say, who are we to judge each other by what our bodies look like? Puberty's not so great, guys. Teenagers look weird. Like, we can't judge each other. We can't make these uh, value statements based on what our bodies look like. That's all you needed at that time. You develop your heartbeat at 21 days. Does that mean that you weren't alive before that? Does that mean that you weren't you? No, it just means that your body didn't have enough blood that needed pumping on day one, two, three, four, five. And when your body had enough blood that it needed an organ to help it pump the blood, your body knew what to do because, wow, God designed that. He designed that your body would know what it needed to develop, and then it did, and then you got your heart, and then you started pumping that blood. And then when you needed that brain, you developed that brain. Hey, we're not done developing our frontal lobes responsible for reasoning until our 20s. Some of the parents in the room are going, oh, 
yeah, that takes a while, right? We're never really fully done developing. So it's really important to remember that that's all of you. I had a girl come up to me on a college campus once um, from far away, just scratching her hand like at me. Weird to see. Um, and then she shouted out from far away for everyone to hear, I'm a mass murderer. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, and she's kind of approaching me. I'm a mass murderer, right? Because I'm killing off my human, alive, if she scratched hard enough, unique cells. They were unique to her. They were her human cells. They were alive if you go far enough, right? She must, I must think she's a mass murderer. Well, no, I did not. She forgot the last one. She was killing off part of her. Let's not confuse parts with holes. An abortion intentionally ends the life of all of that person. So even in the earliest stages, a chemical abortion maybe, that's all of that person whose life is ended. So whole is important. Um, we see this in scripture too. It's amazing. This is where our bottom line comes from. So in scripture, we see how we were made. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. He designed our bodies to develop that way. It's this beautiful design and creation from God. So the Bible is clear. Those among us who have not yet been born are human, living, unique, and whole, just like you and I. They are created by God and he values them and he cares for them. Unique human beings made in the image of God and at the rate of 3,000 times per day are having their lives ended in this country. That's just for our country alone. So what does God have to say? What does God think about innocent lives being taken? Does his word say anything about that? Does he have an opinion about that? Well, of course he does. There are tons of places in Scripture that discuss this. Ten Commandments, we could write that one down. Uh, there's Scriptures about how to love each other and respect each other, right? We're talking about respecting life. Well, I don't know about you, but intentionally destroying someone's life doesn't feel like love to me. There are a lot of Scriptures that talk about this, but, but I want to go to one that I think powerfully parallels the issue of abortion. And it's in Psalm chapter 106. And I'm just going to skip ahead to verses 37 through 45, uh, but give some context quickly. David is writing in this psalm, and he is talking about how Israel has fallen away from God. And he is writing, David is writing about what they're doing, what the Israelites are doing in Canaan. And it starts in verse 37. He says, they worshipped their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and daughters to demons. They shed innocent blood, the blood of their sons and daughters, whom they sacrificed to the idols of Canaan. The land was polluted by bloodshed. They were defiled by their deeds and unfaithful in their actions. So the Lord was angry with his people and despised the people who belonged to him. Powerful opinion on taking innocent life there. To give this some more context here, David is referring to child sacrifices, parents sacrificing their children 
to idols. The people of Israel were in deep. They had embedded themselves into this culture of worshiping idols, and it had gotten so bad that many scriptures and historical documents of that time describe one of the practices to be child sacrifice. And I want to first pause and say what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that this equals abortion. Can we just make that clear? I'm not saying these are the same thing. I'm saying it parallels it, and we have some things that we can learn from it. It's not just the Bible that records this either. Uh, several ancient Greek and Roman texts dated around the same time or shortly after, they recall these events really gruesome. I'm not going to read any of that to you, but I don't know if we have the pictures or if you already did that one yet. And the next one. Uh, so in recent years, cemeteries were discovered and studied by archaeologists. The largest contained the remains of approximately 20,000 newly born infants in urns. Mixed among them were also remains of animals, which just kind of furthers the testament that these were children used in a sacrificial manner. And then you start to look at the urns, and there are inscriptions on the urns, actual like um, dedications from the parents to the idol awful. It's awful. Especially as a parent in the room to think about doing that. This isn't a tale. This isn't a made-up story. People did this. This was a whole society and, and what they thought was right and what they did. And we look at that and we think, how could they do that? How could anybody do that? How barbaric. How could anyone stand around while they did that? I think we'd like to think that we wouldn't do that. I think we'd like to think that, at the very least, we would stand up and say, hey, guys, cut that out. Don't do that. Since 1973, over 60 million lives have been lost to abortion in just this country. I'm just giving you United States numbers. That's a little over 1 million per year, and that's 3,000 times a day. Most of you saw New York just passed their own law to allow abortions through all nine months of pregnancy, so up until birth. But not only that, some other provisions of this law was it repealed the fact that you have to be a licensed doctor to perform the abortion. So now just the nurse or a physician's assistant giving the IV fluids can also perform the abortion. It also repealed protections for domestic violence. So if you're a woman who's pregnant, you want your baby, but your husband or your boyfriend beats you and you lose the baby, or he poisons you with an abortion-related drug and you lose the baby, there's no protection for you or your child. It's a dark time we're living in. This is not safe for women. This is dangerous for women. If you want to be on the side of progress, if you want to be truly progressive when it comes to the issue of abortion, then you will boldly share the truth that abortion is archaic. I'll say it again, abortion is archaic. It is an ancient practice that allows us, that allows one human to exercise power and ownership over another. Abortion on demand creates a culture where those who are weaker and inconvenient become our disposable property. And now, I said I couldn't get into everything today. I know. I know there are difficult situations that women find themselves in. I recognize that. I have sorrow and grief over that. I believe the church needs to do a better job receiving women in those situations. And we can start today doing better. We can support pregnancy resource centers and make sure that our communities are equipped 
so that these women don't feel stuck in that place. But we know violence is never a solution to any circumstance. What happens when we classify whole, unique, living human beings created in the image of God as disposable non-persons? What happens when we step outside of God's word and think that other human beings, it's our job to attribute a value to them? Have we learned nothing from our own history? So the conclusion is clear. Taking the life of an innocent human being is wrong. Abortion takes the life of an innocent human being. Therefore, abortion is wrong. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say when something's wrong. Maybe that's where you're at today. You're pro-life, but you're super quiet about it. Or you're just, you know, it's better for me to not say. You know what, I'm glad to be anti-abortion. I'll say that proudly. In the same way that I'm anti a lot of things. I'm anti-slavery. I'm anti-racism, I'm anti-drunk driving, I'm anti-human trafficking. It's okay to be against stuff that's bad. And maybe some of us just need to find our courage on that today because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. You made it into this life. A lot of you were born after 1973. You literally survived and you're here. So be like David. When you see what's happening, call it out and don't be silent. Be like Christ and share that truth in grace. There is a lot that can be done on this issue. I invite you all to come to the Maryland March for Life. It's on Monday evening. So if you work all day, great. Come on down in the evening and march in Annapolis to our state capitol. It's Monday, March 4th. Just Google Maryland March for Life. I want to see you there. Let's carpool together. There's a religious prayer service as well that Eric has spoken at before. I'd love to see you at that. So come see me. If you're looking for your way to plug in on this issue, if your heart just breaks over it like mine did, then I want you to to know that you can do something about it. If you're a student, you can start a group at your school. You can start a Students for Life group in high school, college. Talk to me about that. Everyone is called. Find your passion on this. I want to close with the last couple verses in that uh, story that we were reading in Psalm that, that David was talking to us about child sacrifice. I want to skip ahead or skip forward in that story um, and tell you the ending there. David talks about how God responds to his people. I know it said that God was angry, but look at this. It says, Yet he took notice of their distress when he heard their cry for help He remembered his covenant with them. He relented because of his great and loyal love. Women who have had an experience with abortion, he has taken notice of your distress. Christians who feel overwhelmed with this today, he hears your cries for help. All of us, all of us, God has a great and loyal love for us because you were fearfully and wonderfully made. As we uh, close in worship together, I just want us to be thinking about where God is challenging us on this today. Just open up and give him your yes. It's amazing what God can do with a yes. So I'm going to let us do that.